We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Last Lord's Day, we began a series of messages on the life of Moses, noting the situation into which Moses is born. And uh, as I mentioned then, one of the things about the life of Moses is, is it forms for us uh, a foreshadowing of the life of Jesus Christ. And so we'll see many comparisons, and I think this morning's sermon will, will highlight many ways, even in his birth, that we see that comparison. But throughout his life, uh, many opportunities that we see God foreshadowing the coming of Christ. However, we, we must be cautious in, in reminding ourselves that Moses is indeed a sinful man. He is an imperfect foreshadow of Christ. And so uh, we, we have to note that as well in, in reminding ourselves and pointing us always to the one who would indeed be the perfect Savior of his people. Exodus chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived, bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes, dabbed it with benamon and pitch. She put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. His sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Lord, we thank thee for this opportunity to come once again into thy house and worship thee. We thank thee, Lord, for your word, your perfect word. We open this portion now and we listen to Pastor Bob as he guides us through this with the help of thy Holy Spirit. We pray that we may take this out into the world and proclaim it as well and live our lives that are honoring and pleasing to thee. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Four things to consider this morning about this guarded birth of Moses and then, of course, of Jesus Christ. First of all, that the settings are remarkably familiar, similar to one another. Secondly, the mothers there are notes that are made for us here and in other passages 
about the two mothers of one of Moses and one of Jesus that also show us some similarities. Secondly, the protection that is given and the way in which that protection comes. And then certainly, fourthly, the purpose as well for which both of these men are raised up. First of all, the settings are remarkably similar. We Last Lord's Day, we, we spent time sort of looking at the spiritual setting and, and it being so similar. The people of Israel in bondage uh, to the slavery of Egypt as we are found uh, in bondage to sin and to Satan. And that Moses comes to be the deliverer of God's people even as Jesus Christ came to be our deliverer from sin as well. But if, if we were to simply stop here and say, what's going on by the time we open Exodus chapter 2? What's the setting? What, what's happening? Well, for Moses, uh, we would have to say one of the most important things regarding this setting is that it has been 400 years since Joseph. I just want that to rest in your mind. God in Genesis chapter 15 had already told to Abraham that someday your descendants are going to go to Egypt and they shall be slaves there for some 400 years. After which I will take them out of there and return them back. So this time between Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph And the time in which we are in here is going to be about a 400-year period of time. How much of that 400 is, is actually between, we could say, the last chapter of Genesis, where you have the death of Joseph, and here, the birth of Moses, might be a little more difficult to calculate, but we could at least say, It's well over 200-year period of time. I want you to note that we are at about 245 years of existence as a nation. That's a lot of history. A lot happens in 400 years. A lot takes place. A lot of life is lived. A lot of people are born, a lot of people die, a lot of families are created. Much happens. A lot of history takes place. I think sometimes we, when we read the Bible, we, we read it in our compressed 21st century way of thinking that, that everything takes place quick and fast rather than to realize that the plan of God is sometimes a very long, drawn-out plan. So the fact that by the time we read in this chapter, or actually in the first chapter of Exodus, that there came a new king who did not know Joseph, well, we've had a lot of history. We've had a lot of change of dynasties over the course of time. A lot of things change. I know when I usually preach on this, uh, I I call attention to the fact of a a man by the name of General Lafayette. And unless you teach American history, probably very few people, even in our congregation today, would know who General Lafayette is. 
But General Lafayette is the reason we won the Revolutionary War. It was because of his influence. Now, for most of us, we go, they didn't even know the guy. Well, you know why? Because he was a Frenchman. So we, we tend to write people who are not of our own background out of the story. So we lift up men like Washington and certainly well-deserving of it. But uh, every historian knows that it's, that it's really Lafayette. So he's kind of been nicely written out of the story. And that's only been 240-some years. Imagine over the course of history what happens to a man like Joseph, a foreigner. We write him out of the story. Pharaoh gets credit. So we, we need to know that as background. And, but we also need just to reemphasize that God has this all in his plan. That's what Genesis 15 reveals to us. God's providence is already at work. This, this is a timing issue. This is at the right time God is raising up this man, Moses, to be the deliverer of his people. Secondly, to note, and and it bears not much comment on, but they are under Egyptian rule. They are not a free people. They are an oppressed people. They are not living freely within their own nation. They are living in the bondage of slavery. When you reflect upon that, here, here comes the remarkable similarity. Because for Jesus, there, there are those two things come back to be an emphasis. Between the end of the book of Malachi and the beginning of what we term the New Testament, or we could say the birth of Jesus Christ, if, if we use that more specific time, is a period of 400 years. Remarkable similarity. We have a 400-year period, chunk of time with silence of God while history goes on, life goes on. Before the birth of Jesus Christ, there is a basically similar time of silence from God. No word from God, no communication, no dreams, no visions, no revelation. No certain prophet being raised up to be the spokesman. Life simply went on. And as we turn to those opening chapters of the New Testament, we find God's people as well under another power. Not under Egypt this time, but under Roman rule. They're not a free people. They are, in a sense, an enslaved people. They are in a different kind of bondage. It's not so much the... The, the slavery of work as much as it is the slavery of a culture that is seeking to, to place its weight upon them. After 400 years, God sends his deliverers. So even in that setting. Secondly, the mothers. For Moses, we, we, we're not even told his mother's name at the very onset. We don't learn the name of Moses' mother until the sixth chapter, the 20th verse of Exodus. Only when we get into an ancestry of Moses do we read it. We find out there that her name is Jacobet. His father, a man by the name of Amram, marries Jacobet, who is actually a, a relative. What's emphasized here is that they come basically out of the same tribe. 
a Levite man went to a Levite woman. Her name is Jochebed. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 points out to us that that Jochebed is not just this this woman who gets married. She's not just the woman who hides the child, but she is a woman of faith. That's the characteristic that Hebrews 11 pulls out about her. She is a woman of faith. You think about that in in a number of ways, and, and it would be true of the husband Amram as well, even as it's true of Joseph as well as Mary. But if you think about this for just a moment, think about the background of what is going on here. We are a people who are enslaved. We have a Pharaoh who is imposing some pretty strict edicts, and yet, We, by faith, marry. In spite of the culture, we marry. In spite of edicts, we produce children. We bring children into this world. In spite of the king's edict, in spite of the culture of the day, we hide the child. There's no wonder that Hebrews reminds us that the parents of Moses, including this mother, Jochebed, is a woman of faith. This was an act of faith. Faith and trust in the one who is Yahweh, the one who is the eternal I Am, the one who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one in whom they are trusting will fulfill his promise, his covenant promise to Abraham that I will bring my people out of this place. Well, think about the mothers, the mother as far as in Jesus' life. In fact, turn with me to Luke chapter 1 and, and, and just note with me the, these verses and these words that are spoken about her. Mark chapter 1, or excuse me, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now I know in the next phrase we get the line, and the virgin's name was Mary. I I find it interesting that just as Jochebed is not named right away, neither is she. There's almost this pause. I'll tell you, an angel was sent, sent to a virgin, to a virgin who was betrothed to a man, a man of the house of David, and her name is Mary. It's not the first thing we learn, but it is what we do learn. We learn her name, but it's almost as if God is saying, Her name is important, her position is important, what she's going to do is important, but it is secondary to the deliverer. Very similar to what we have in Exodus chapter 2. That foreshadowing once again. But note now the similarity again between Jochebed and Mary. Verse 28. 
And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. O favored one, meaning that you are pleased, that God is pleased with you, that God is delighted with you, Mary. What does Scripture tell us about those who delight and please the Lord? That without faith, it is impossible to please the Lord. What does that verse tell us? It tells us that like Jacobed, the mother of Moses, Mary also is a woman of faith. That God in his divine plan brought both of these men, both who are going to deliver his people into this world, into families, into situations where there is faith. Faith of a mother. who trusts the Lord with bringing a child into the world in very, very unique circumstances. The circumstances perhaps are not all that comparable, but the fact that they're both unusual circumstances is certainly there. Jacobet, under the edict of a king, Jesus in the unique circumstance of a virgin who is with child. Both to husbands who have husbands who are also noted as men of faith. Blameless and righteous, we're told of Joseph. Don't look past that that what God is doing here with Moses in Exodus chapter 2 is he's foreshadowing that which is to come. Moses is going to say later on, you are to look for a prophet greater than I. You are are to look for someone beyond me to be your deliverer. How true that is. And yet if we're, we're going to see Christ, if we're going to see the Lord, we're going to see Jesus, God was giving the people plenty of evidence to look at. Look for one like Moses. Now think of the similarities, the settings, the mothers. Think of the protection. Think of that, what we read back here in Exodus chapter 2 of of how this goes. This, This mother, this making a small basket. One commentator pointed out, he said, do you know that the Nile has crocodiles? I never actually thought about that before. Maybe it was because I saw that picture of that gator down in that park down in Florida this past week. I I kind of read that with, with some renewed, hmm, that's interesting. What did she do? Well, there was the surety of death under the king's edict, wasn't there? Under the king's edict, which was in the verse just before this of of chapter 1 of Exodus, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, shall let every daughter live. There was the certainty of death in that act. 
And although there is the prospect of death by putting her little child in a basket, there was not the certainty of it. Maybe that is in part our answer to those abortionists who who want to argue the case of the mother's life or the child's life. There is the certainty of death in an abortion. There is the possibility of death in the basket but not at certainty. God gave to Jochebed this wisdom, this knowledge, this insight, this faith, this obedience. It would be disobedience. It would be sinful for me to take my child, to hand him over to the Egyptians, to be drowned into the Nile. That was certain death. I will not go there. The wisdom, the insight that this woman has to construct a basket, to coat it so that it doesn't sink, to place it amongst the reeds in a place where where perhaps she knew the Egyptian princess went. Many prayers. With setting an older sister in place to watch, to guard, perhaps to protect. This woman, Jacobet, is is quite a woman that God raises up to use to protect his deliverer in the small basket. And note how this child is indeed protected, how it's saved from the king's edict. But before I go there, I want you to note there is another protection that is given here too that is often overlooked. And that's the protection of Moses' brother, Aaron. Did you ever stop to ask yourself the question, if, if Moses is protected by the basket, how was Aaron, who was only three years older than him, protected from the king's edict as well? Remember what we read last week? The passage about Shipra and Puah, the two Hebrew midwives who are ordered by Pharaoh, if you see that the child is going to be a boy, kill it. But the Hebrew midwives disobey the edict of Pharaoh and they allow the women to give birth. God protected Moses' brother as well. He guarded him from that decree through those two women, Shipra and Pua. So Aaron's life is protected and guarded. The one who is going to be the priest. So is Moses, guarded by a little basket, protected by an older sister, discovered by an Egyptian princess and all that that's going to bring all that that story entails of this woman coming spotting the baby not thinking at all when the sister says shall i find a hebrew woman for you to nurse the child what's going on in her mind well yeah we're killing all these boys certainly there are many hebrew women out there 
who are able to nurse this child. God in his providence allows that to be Moses' very own mother. And then raised with that Egyptian protection and guarding, protecting and guarding his life. Here he is, a Hebrew who should have been killed, should have been drowned. God saves by the Nile, by the very daughter of the man who gave the edict. And he's protected, he's kept, he's educated, he's nurtured, he's raised. Protected. From the very man who desired his death. Turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. Note some very interesting similarities between Moses' protection and the protection that is given to our Lord and Savior. Two verse sixteen, Matthew chapter two sixteen. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Look at that, another king. Another man who's furious sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had asserted from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they are no more. What a tragic Situation, what a tragic law. Kill, kill, kill. Jesus is in Bethlehem. He falls under the two years of age. Just as Moses is in Egypt and he falls as a male child, even as Herod's edict calls for. Why is Jesus not caught up in this? Because Jesus, just as Moses before him, is guarded. Jesus also is protected. God's shield of divine providence guards Jesus from this. Say, how did that happen? Verse 13, chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. There is a forewarning given. God intervenes into human history. God comes with a divine revelation to Joseph. You need to move the child and you need to move the mother. You need to protect the child. But note where to flee. Not to Syria, not to Persia. To Edom, not to Moab. Flee to Egypt. Flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Words. Fitting for Moses 
but ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Two men of guarded birth. Two men protected. Two men by by God's divine work. Because God has a purpose for each one of these men. God has a plan, does he not? For Moses, as we move on to that fourth point, we know that the plan is this. The Lord knew that his people would be delivered by that hand of Moses. The Lord knew. Remember, that that's the verse we, we kind of centered on last Lord's Day, there in chapter 2. Oh, if, if you don't, if you're in the practice of underlining, that, that's one of those underlined verses. And God knew. God knew. God knew not only, as we emphasized last week, the suffering of his people, but God also knew the deliverer of his people. God knew. God knew exactly what he was going to do. God knew how he was going to get his people out of Egypt. God knew how he was going to fulfill his promise to Abraham. God knew that he was going to use Moses, this child, born in the midst of slavery, born in the midst of this horrible edict of the Pharaoh, born to a family of faith, born to a family that fulfilled and was obedient to the word of God. God was going to use that man, Moses, as the deliverer of his people. God knew. My friends, once again, that is but the foreshadowing. That is not the end. For God knew not only that historical time and place, God knew that which he was going to accomplish. Because you see, before the foundations of the world, God knew how he was going to deliver you and I. God knew that his people, his people, would be delivered by his son. God knew that. Just as as we read this passage of Exodus chapter 2, and and we can find such great comfort in it, even, even for these Jewish people. We know that God knows. We know God is going to operate. We know God is going to be moved. So too, as we reflect upon this in the light of Jesus Christ, what a blessing to know that God knew before the foundations of the world. That God had purposed our salvation in and through His Son. And that there is nothing, not a king's edict, not Satan's means, nothing is going to take Him away from fulfilling that purpose for you and I. Nothing. why Paul can write in Romans chapter 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Because God knew. God knew that His people would be delivered by His Son. Turn with me to the book of Acts. Book of Acts.
find chapter 3, book of Acts. Go to verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and from those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to be blessed, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And who is that? Well, Peter had already identified him in verse 20. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things come about by his prophet. See, God knew. Moses knew. The prophets knew that God knew. That God knew. He was going to save his people by his son. Peter goes on to state in Acts chapter 4, there is no other name, there is no other name given in heaven by which men can be saved. There's no other name. There's no other deliverer. You know, as I reflected upon that, I thought about the fact of Moses there, back there in Egypt. Could not God have used Aaron Yes, God could have. Aaron is certainly more, he's the elder brother, one. He certainly seems to be a man of much more courage than Moses is. He's also much more eloquent, but God does not always choose those in this world. Could not God have chosen one of the other elders of Israel at the time? Yes, God certainly could have. God chose not to. God chose to use Moses to be the deliverer of his people. Could not have God have chosen another Savior? No. No. There is no other Savior. There was no other way possible other than by his Son. It's the only way. There is no other name. No other name. It's only you see through Christ. That's why Moses is a foreshadowing, but he's not the completion. He's not the ultimate. He brings it to us. But he only stands as an as a Old Testament example of what Christ was going to be, the ultimate fulfillment. But I bring to you one more passage. If you have your scriptures open, turn to it. It's the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And with this we close... And I cannot help but think, as I read this again this morning, after Tim had called this morning and reflected upon it, the beauty of this and the timing of it and the passing of of Mrs. Stroven, but the glory and hope that is found for us as well. 
in that God knew. I start at verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He sent forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Him, things in heaven and in things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Him, in Him, in Christ that is, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. God knew, God knew that He would save His people through His Son, through His blood. And God's people say, Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for its promise to us for the glorious assurance and hope that we as God's people might have in His name, in the name that is above every name, in the name that is given to men, whereby we can be saved. In the name of Jesus, we pray. God's people say, Amen.